Democrats turn to Lee Fisher. Ted Strickland goes after the state's watchdog and John Kasich. And the Mark Dan saga ends in court. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSIDE, this is Columbus on the Record. WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Karen Kassler, State House Bureau Chief for Ohio Public Radio and Television. Daryl Rowland, Public Affairs Editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Terry Casey, Republican Strategist. And Sam Gresham of Common Cause Ohio. While this week's Ohio primary may not have been the most exciting, it does leave us with quite a bit to talk about. First to the top of the ticket, the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate. Money and the unofficial party endorsement helped Lee Fisher beat Jennifer Bruner. Last year, we expected a better contest. In the end, the lieutenant governor easily beat the secretary of state. Sam Gresham, was Jennifer Bruner just not a good candidate, or was she just not going to win this thing from the get-go? The difficulty for her was that a primary consists of Democrats and Democrats alone. So trying to convince Democrats to go against a stalwart and a major party figure who had occupied a lot of offices and had a lot of uh, IOUs out there is very difficult. But the travesty of this election was it's probably the most important loss of the decade. And what I mean by that, without Jennifer being on the ticket for Secretary of State, redrawing the redistricting lines is going to set this party back for the next decade. And because the Secretary of State sits on the apportionment board, right. which is... And, and in all likelihood now, um, Mr. Husted is probably going to win. And, and that, I find, besides the election, and it came out to be money versus money, no money at all. But there are three seats on the apportionment board. I mean, there's Secretary of State, Auditor, and, and Governor. And right. you're saying that you think that uh, the Democrats are going to lose two of those seats? I'm saying I'm sure they're going to lose one <laughs> and possibly two. <laughs> and let me agree with Sam. Money was a big factor. I mean, Lee Fisher probably spent $3 million, over a million dollars on TV. To me, the amazing thing is the Quinnipiac poll said in that primary he was ahead 20 points. He only won by 10. And Lee's had a long history of not spending his money very well and not really doing that well in vote totals. Uh, so we're obviously going to have quite a race. And actually, one advantage Fisher's got is that Portman's got a lot more money, I think around $9 million right now. But Portman's still basically unknown outside of his base in southwestern Ohio. Do, do Daryl, do Jennifer Bruner's supporters, any bitterness left over there? Do you expect them to fall in line and vote for Lee Fisher in coming I, I think they will, certainly by, by November, because in one sense, where are they going to go? Um, I don't think they're going to go to the Republican Party or, or any of the new minor parties. Um, the, the bigger issue may be the so-called enthusiasm gap that we've seen you know, across the country for uh, you know, going on a year now, uh, where Republicans are just more turned on to get to this election. They can't wait. They think it's, it's their year. They're going to you know, take over this and throw those people out and all that. And, I, you know, I, I agree with Terry about that. You know, I, th I think Fisher goes into this as an underdog. Uh, the poll number you have to watch out a little bit. That was on Election Eve, but with early voting. So many people had already voted before Lee Fisher's campaign ads had kicked in. So but, there may be a little bit of bias. But, but I think Lee Fisher had done a lot of the targeting of the people that had voted absentee. And I think Daryl hits on a key point. There's an enthusiasm difference to see in a county like Summit County, 
where the number of Republicans who voted almost equal Democrats and the same thing in Franklin County. There's definitely a gap in terms of Republicans are fired up and enthused, much as Democrats were in 08 and in 06. Well, the campaign for the November election is already underway as far as Internet ads go. Two ads were released this week. One was more interesting than the other. We'll let you decide which one that is. I'm the lieutenant governor. I focus on economic development. I admit my job as lieutenant governor has kept me pretty busy. Kept me pretty busy. Job creation and saving jobs are number one priority. President Obama and Democrats in Congress are fighting for comprehensive financial reform. Meanwhile, what did the Republicans do? They nominated a Wall Street lobbyist and one of the biggest Wall Street cheerleaders they could find, Dan Coats and Rob Portman. In Ohio, the Republican Party chose Rob Portman, a man who has taken over $160,000 from Wall Street banks and over $32,000 from Goldman Sachs. Terry Casey, the, uh, let's go to the Lee Fisher ad first, the anti-Lee Fisher ad. Complaints that it's unfair, a little below the belt, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, with Mother's Day coming up, I'm not going to go where some people want to go. I mean, the real problem was Lee Fisher let his son do this video showing him at a computer late at night with his shirt off. Uh, and that should have never seen the light of day. So it's, I wouldn't have made that kind of commercial, but the substance of the job problem, because the thing that Democrats can't get away from, Strickland and Fisher took power, so as unemployment was 5.4, it's now 11%. Does the substance get lost? Uh, that's what I was thinking. The, I mean, if you picture? don't know the history and you don't, you're not a uh, person who's seen that video before, right. because this is not the first time most of us here at this table yeah. have seen at least the video that's still shot of him without a shirt on. It, that's kind of confusing to people who don't maybe understand it. And so I'm wondering if the whole message might get lost a little bit because it, it doesn't seem to make any sense given the jobs issue. You know, who are going to be offended by that video? There are some people who, and what it intimates about him. Uh, Are they going to be mad at Fisher or mad at... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether they're going to question the people's motivation who produced yeah. that video, and why would they want to send that message about him under those circumstances? And, and this is this was two days after the primary. We are starting this campaign. <laughs> and th the other thing is, you know, this is not some third-party group that's airing this ad. This is the official National Republican mm -hmm. um, Senate Campaign Committee. Now, it's just a web-only ad. It's not on TV. I don't know if a TV station would even air it. And you, YouTube has pulled it because of copyright issues, both with the Buckeye State blog, which I guess did the interview, and also the movie rights from Fisher's son. But there is a thing legally called fair use, and you can use fair use, and you can use parody. That's protected by the Supreme Court, as uh, Reverend Jerry Falwell find out. So but there's a good thing called taste. And I think Daryl is right. Uh, <laughs> That's not come on before the Supreme Court. <laughs> there, there's a thing is, this is just right off the bat. I mean, there's been no opening speech. There's been nothing. This is going to be one interesting race if we start off with stuff like this already. It's going to be an interesting race. Well, but the, one of the things about Internet ads, it gets page one in the dispatch today, and it gets people talking about on TV shows for practically no cost. Right. Yeah. It's right. earned in media. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Taste and negative campaigning. I'm not sure those two fit together <laughs> anyway. 
Topic two, the Ohio Constitution has a new amendment and the planned Columbus Casino has a new address. Ohio voters overwhelmingly approved issue two, which moves the casino from the arena district to the site of the former Delphi Auto, Plants, Auto Parts Plant on West Broad Street. It was an overwhelming vote for those who want to move the casino. Terry Casey, you said many, many months ago this place would never be built at the arena district and we don't know if it'll be built on West Broad, but it's not going to be built at the Arena District. Well, actually, the new site isn't directly on Broad Street, but it's near Broad Street. Yep. And yes, November 6th, to be specific, I said it would never be built in the Arena District. One of the key secrets was the ballot language, because when you walked in to vote, the ballot language was real clear that it was just a shift in location. Uh, so to the credit of the people pushing this issue, which was a hard one, because why do most people in most parts of the state carry, care about it? Uh, they passed and by a good margin. The big thing to be looking for, especially in the next month, is who's the governor going to appoint to this casino commission and what rules and regulations will the legislature approve because they can't open until they figure out a whole bunch of rules and how it's going to operate and there's a commission to license people. I think this might have done well in like a city like Cleveland because the message was being sent of if you approve this they start to build a casino in Columbus that starts to get the revenue coming in and in Cleveland Dan Gilbert has said that it's going to be at least 2013 before that casino opens so I think that message and, and they were really good about sending that message out which was the way that they won back in November in the first place was sending their issue their message out and, and focusing it very tightly. In some ways it was an amazing transformation because uh, a, a lot of people didn't have Terry's foresight and thought right after the election that you know when these first people started talking about let's try to move out of the arena district that was just sour grapes that was something that would never happen because of all the hurdles that would have to be gone through and smashing victory on on election night so yeah. very impressive turnaround in just a few months. There's an interesting point nobody's asking it only won by 60 percent there were 40 percent of the people who said no what was their message? It wasn't 75, 80 percent of the people who said, let's move this thing. That was a 40 percent that said, hey, we don't want to do this. Sam, I got to tell yeah, you, under Ohio law, all you need is 50.1. 40 percent doesn't matter. And yeah. it did win in every county, unlike issue one. Issue one actually lost in 10 counties. This right. one won in every county. Yeah. But like you said, the margin is interesting. What were the 40 percent who voted no? What did they want to do? Were they trying to send a, right. a message about gambling or, or did they not understand the issue? Yeah. I don't know. It's closer to 30 percent, I think. That no, was closer to 30 percent. Yeah, yeah, I think it was 68, 68 32. 38, yeah. 68, 32, yeah. Will this be good for the West Side if it gets built over there? Mm, the history is that they have not been catalysts for economic development around them. They're more internal, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, the West Side needs some help because if you watch the nightly news in the past week, the shootings and killings, now that's not the same area of West Broad, but they need some help and clearly real estate is starting to move out there and values have gone up. Now Terry, when this casino was going to be built at the Arena District, it was going to bring shootings and killings. And <laughs> so what happened? Well, just like there's a certain newspaper in Central Ohio that said this is the end of the earth and now it's the salvation, sometimes people, as one politician told me, you've got to rise above principle. <laughs> and in this case, they had the, the higher objectives. It's got a different outcome It's actually, a, it's like almost twice the size. It's, 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 the casino will be much larger than it would have been in the arena district. Yeah, and, and that's one of the positives. There's a lot more room for development there and around it. The arena district site was bad. Part of it was in the floodplain. It didn't have much land, and the access was bad. Yeah, right, right. Any chance 10 years from now the arena district says, don't. We should have taken it? No.
You, Absolutely you, not. You mean the worry about where they come up with the $12 million to subsidize the Blue Jackets? That's yeah. another issue that's still out there unsolved. Conventioneers from the convention center taking shuttle vans to the west side, the west side instead of to the restaurants in the arena district. Or is there a chance that in 10 years we'll have other casinos throughout the state in different locations? Yes. Yeah. Now yeah. that the door's been kicked open. Well, right. sure. We're going to probably vote on tracks at the, or yeah. slots at the tracks this Almost fall. Almost certainly, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Up until recently, you, when you referred to a tea party, it was a, usually a quiet setting filled with quiet conversation punctuated by extended pinkies. Then the tea party movement pumped up the volume a bit, made a lot of noise, made moderate Republicans a little nervous heading into primary day. But as it turned out, the Tea Party movement was more of the quieter variety. Both its endorsed candidates, Seth Morgan for Auditor, Sandra O'Brien for Secretary of State, lost badly to mainstream Republicans. And the issue it opposed, the Third Frontier, won easily. Karen, what happened to the Tea Party? Well, the Tea Party major group in Ohio, the Ohio Liberty Council, says they didn't endorse anybody, that they uh, you know, spoke well of these candidates, but they were not officially endorsing uh, Sandra O'Brien and uh, Seth Morgan. Would they have had said that if they had won? Uh, that's a good question. And they're also saying that, hey, they did score some victories. Uh, the guy that's the founder of the Tea Party in Cincinnati got elected to the GOP nomination for a state house seat. There's also... Uh, Joe Wurzelbacher, Joe the Plumber, mm -hmm. he's a Tea Party favorite. He's going to be on the uh, state committee up in Lucas County. So, you know, they're saying that they did have some victories. But you also have these political experts who are saying it's just too early. One vote does not mean that you count these folks out. They are still out there. They're still angry. They're still frustrated and maybe even more angry because the people that they had supported didn't get the nominations. I think part of the problem, a lot of people, particularly in the media, didn't understand what the Tea Party was about. And it isn't really a structured political party with all the infrastructure. The other thing is in campaigns, if you run a campaign, it makes a difference. And if you look at the volume of phone calls, TV spots on real TV that Dave Yost had behind him, Houston, all those things make a difference. And then I think the third big part of it is the Republican Party this time cares about ideology, but they're more concerned about winning because they're really angry and they want to get some gains and they want to stop Obama and his if, people if in Congress. If you really want to win, does the Tea Party help you with independent voters? Does it, or, or, or is that a marginal 20% party stuck at 20% and can't get the independence to swing? I don't think it's, it, it creates positive energy. I don't think it does. People have done surveys of the Tea Party people identify themselves that way. About 92% of them consider themselves Republican. And on independence, much has happened in New Jersey and Virginia and in Massachusetts Senate race. Independents have huge buyer's remorse about what they did in 08. They want to turn around. They want to get some balance in Congress. They can't vote against Obama this fall, but they can vote against the people that they feel have rubber-stamped his policies. Is that, is that the point where, the, the, Daryl, the mainstream Republicans didn't provide a good enough foil for the Tea Partiers? I mean, they're, they're closely closer aligned with sure. them than they are Democrats <laughs> who will be on the ballot in, in the sure. fall. Well, actually, I, I think the election does underscore the kind of flip side of what, what Terry was saying, that the party with the infrastructure, with the slate cards, with the you know the power to buy a, at least a 30-second TV spot featuring two candidates, um, endorsements, whatever. I think the Republican Party showed that you know they're still pretty powerful. And again, the Tea Party, loosely defined, you know, loosely member, you know, loose membership, 
you know, what is, what is the platform? None of that's really well-defined. So when we talk about Tea Party, it's not some monolithic, well-defined group. Are we giving it more attention than it deserves? I think so. I think it's a, it, it's a, it's a product of the media. I don't think there's a chairman, there's any structure like Dale said. I think it's a product of the media. There are angry people out there. And, and, and again, I think we're missing a boat. The Democrats were angry when they lost the presidential election, and they swore they were going to reorganize. Now, they didn't create a wing like the Tea Party, but that's what happens when you lose. Well, I'm wondering, I mean, you say that we're giving it a lot of attention, but they are protesting. We do have big rallies and gatherings on tax day and these sorts of events. So are we big, giving it more? Big? big is the question. A thousand <laughs> people, I'm not sure. But, but Sam, during the anti-war time, you get 25 Democrats picketing something and the media played it up big. Here you had thousands of people showing up at the state. Yeah, house. but this thing is all manufactured by the right wing media and right wing television. All the right wing media, and they still only get a thousand people out there. What does that say? You mean the right wing media like NBC and CBS? Uh, yeah. They got 297 outlets on radio that are right wing. We only got one liberal. Well, nobody What's makes that a one? listen to left wing <laughs> radio. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get to our next topic. Governor Strickland went on the offensive this week after last week's damaging report on the canceled sting at his mansion. Governor took on the Inspector General, Tom Charles. Strickland said his public safety director, Kathy Collins-Taylor, did nothing wrong in scuttling the planned sting. Strickland and Collins-Taylor's attorney, Rocky Saxby, denied she lied under oath during the investigation. And Saxby went further, saying Tom Charles is using the invest investigation to carry out a personal agenda. Darrell Rowland, why did uh, Ted Strickland go quickly on the offensive on this case? I think probably because of the stakes there. Um, first of all, let's take a step back. And what, what we're experiencing here is something I've not really seen in recent Ohio history. Just the, you always have rhetoric, but the strong words going back and forth. First, the very serious accusations in the report. Ohio's top public safety officer lied, covered up, tried to impede an investigation. So did the head of the State Highway Patrol. So did the head of the, the unit that protects governor pro pro with the patrol. Um, now on the other side, the person making that investigation, uh, Tom Charles in his office, a white knight for many years, very well respected, coming under criticism that he's never heard before and, and quite so vociferously, um, that he is not just wrong, but he is fabricating evidence, making things up, and it should be he who's investigated. So the stakes are enormous here. Um, obviously, Kathy Collins-Taylor, the safety director, her job is on the line. Um, possible criminal charges against her and some others, who knows. Um, Tom Charles, his reputation is, is on the line. And Ted Strickland has got to face voters in six months. So, does this just create a lot of noise to try to bury this story and make it confusing for voters? Or how does this all play out? I'd argue this draws more attention to the story. And today's dispatch had a, another report by two career Highway Patrol people detailing more problems as far as what was going on at the governor's mansion. But uh, Kathy Collins Taylor, I mean, the governor, if you read the tail end of the article, he said he was confident in her, but if she, he basically said if she wants to resign, that's fine. He'll never send her name to nomination for the state Senate because they'd ha she'd have to appear, be under oath, and answer questions. She doesn't want to answer those questions of who else in the governor's office encouraged her to stop that raid. But, but, but she's already answered them under oath. Mm -hmm. She was put under oath at the... But was she lying well, then or lying now? I mean, when well, was she telling the truth? You know, Tom Charles' office 
accused her outright of lying and calling her statements ludicrous and absurd. And it, it's frankly language that we don't see too often in Inspector General's office. Again, very, very strong and but almost then, personal language. But then Rocky Saxby came back and said, no, she didn't lie and pointed to different parts of the report that said, here you can see that she wasn't lying. She was given the answer that right. she is accused of not being given. But isn't this you know, just I, internal petty politics? Isn't this what this wait is minute, all about? Tom Charles was appointed by Mike, Ted Strickland to be I Inspector General, that. and he praised him and said how trustworthy and reliable and solid the guy but is. But just looking from the outside, what happened? Well, that's why, I mean, that's where the accusations <laughs> are. I mean, perjury, you know, Bill Clinton accepted, is usually a pretty serious charge. That's, that's the accusation here. Now, legal people will tell you that's very hard to get a conviction that's true. on that. It may be an obstructing official business or whoever. And I'm not a lawyer and don't... Don't want to play one here on TV. Yeah. This idea of an alternative agenda, which Rocky Saxby says that maybe Tom Charles is engaging in. I mean, Tom Charles retired from the patrol. He's married to a patrol captain. He had promoted his wife's boss to replace uh, the superintendent of the highway patrol. And so he says that there were some questions there. But, you know, who knows what but people are thinking. But could old scores we're trying to settle here in and the I public? Think that's, that's, or maybe that's, there's a cover-up of something no, they don't want people to know about. could be old scores about. we're trying to settle in public. Well, let's go to the other <laughs> Offensive, <laughs> offensive move that Ted Strickland made against John Kasich. Right on primary day, he released his first ad against the former congressman. We were doing good work here in Ohio. Then my job got shipped to China. So when I heard that Congressman John Kasich voted for all those trade deals that sent Ohio jobs overseas, I just couldn't believe it. Kasich voted for NAFTA and even a special trade deal for China. And then Congressman Kasich moved to Wall Street and made millions working for the Lehman Brothers. Congressman Kasich couldn't possibly understand what Ohioans are going through right now. And now he wants to be governor? Does Ohio really need a congressman from Wall Street for governor? There it is, the congressman from Wall Street for governor. How do you combat, how do you combat against that, Terry? Well, at some point you're going to discover that there's maybe a governor from Goldman Sachs. Because when you look at the finance reports, the amount of money that Ted Strickland's got, the unbid contracts, given to Goldman Sachs, and even his press secretary came directly from a losing campaign in New Jersey for the former Goldman Sachs chairman, no, I was, John I, Corazon. That was, she was 16 when he was working for Goldman Sachs, so yeah, she worked for him, yeah, but, but <laughs> just a little bit. But it's all of the Goldman Sachs thing. Yeah, I mean, there's also six degrees from separation from Kevin right. Bacon, too, yeah, but I you mean, know. John but, but, Corzine left Goldman Sachs 10 years ago, right? But he's still enjoying all the, that's how it financed all of his campaigns with Goldman Sachs profits. But the big problem in the commercial is NAFTA, that they're blaming on Kasich, that didn't cause jobs to go to China. That's about trade and jobs we have with Mexico and Canada, Ohio's biggest nobody's partner. Nobody's going to get involved in the minutiae. The, the idea <laughs> is that there's a brush being painted here on a canvas that begins to frame a candidate. Now, what tells you what's at stake here is how soon he started the campaign. The day right after the primary, and, we and hit he didn't the waste any time no. with any commercials on his accomplishments because he doesn't have but any. That's not what he's going to do. People know. Him. I know it's all going to be dirty smear stuff. No, it's speaking, <laughs> speaking of dirty smear stuff, let's get to our last topic. Mark Dan, the saga appears to be over. Two years after he resigned over a sexual harassment scandal. Two years after admitting to a an affair with his scheduler after several of his staff and his estranged wife pleaded guilty to charges. Mark Dan was in court Friday, pleading guilty to misdemeanor charges of improperly using campaign funds. Daryl Rowland, after all this, two years, all this investigation, two misdemeanor charges and an Alfred plea, is that what prosecutors wanted? 
I don't think so. They threaten him with felonies. Uh, that's why the deal had to go down by uh, today, Friday, as we as we tape this, um, because if he was going to deny, yeah, or n not sign up for the plea deal, they were going to indict him to the grand jury. At least that was their threat, and that means felony yeah. with the grand jury. Um, but he, had, he, you know, he admitted to uh, improper compensation and failure to disclose. Interestingly, the same thing that Bob Taft was convicted of a few years ago. Um, I think two counts, actually, as yeah. well. So maybe that's our magic number in Ohio. Well, he admitted to these things in court. He pleaded guilty, but then said that he was innocent and that he's still sorry for what he did. I mean, it's an interesting, you mentioned the Alpha plea. It's, it, it's interesting for one of the counts, yeah, yeah how he, he is pleading guilty but saying that he is still innocent. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, he, gets to, he gets, what, a $1,000 fine total and some probation, but it's really not a big conviction, although it's still, he may lose his law license and things like that. And he can't, I mean, not that Ohioans would probably reelect him, but he can't run for office in seven years. Um, yeah. I thought, you know, almost the only new thing to come out was about this G-Tech lobbyist, um, the firm that had the lottery contract, wanted to, to keep it. Um, Bought a ten thousand dollar chartered plane flight for him, his family, Tony Gutierrez's family. Yeah. Um, that was part of the other income that wasn't reported. And that, and we're just hearing about that now. Yeah. Well, remember, if Jim Trafficking can come back, Mark Dan can come he back. Can no, that, no. Jim Trafficking's not back. He's trying to come back, and he never will. <laughs> okay, let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments <laughs> from our panel. Some final thoughts and predictions for the weeks ahead. Sam Gresham, you're up first. I, I think the most difficult thing that we're going to look forward to is this election. I last time I was on, I talked about an October surprise. I think then it's the election, we're going to have an October <laughs> surprise. <laughs> okay, Terry. Uh, well, part of uh, this coming week, I'll get back to the here and now, the state Senate will have the next hearing on the whole Highway Patrol governor's mansion thing, and I predict that the public safety director will never come forward, never be confirmed, and the scandal's going to continue to grow because Randy Ludlow, the dispatch reporter, has done a great job digging into this mess. Darrell. I think mine's on the same thing. If, if this goes forward, I think it's going to get bloodier and bloodier because I can say we've never seen heads butting at this level with these kind of stakes involved. Good. And Karen? I think the Lee Fisher ad could potentially backfire because it's now being circulated among progressive and liberal bloggers who are using it now to try to raise money for Lee Fisher's campaign. And also Jennifer Bruner's campaign bus, I think, will make a full circle and go back on eBay. Look at Betty Sutton raising all that money over that comment about the kitchens and whatever it was. Yeah. So it's funny how these things play out. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Please check out our website. There you can get a look at what we're going to discuss each week. Streaming video in case you miss a show. A link to our Facebook page where we urge you to become a fan. Or is it like now? And a link to our blog. All of that at our website, wosu.org slash COTR. For our crew, for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. <laughs>